Merry Christmas. I wanted to meditate a little bit with you on St. Joseph and perhaps if we have enough time on Mary. I was thinking of this because of the importance of maturity today. It seems that we are more and more divided, disagreeing on some stuff that is profound and some stuff that is not. We are becoming more and more in a spiritual warfare, or maybe we should say psychological warfare. It's interesting, I was meditating on that the other day, that it's very different than a natural disaster. Natural disasters often have had an uh, effect where we are united. In this case, COVID and the general ambiance of the world seems to been more of a psychological warfare which has led us to great division. And so I thought it opportune to speak about St. Joseph. And what I have been reading as uh, Christian maturity, how he reacted to circumstances, how he lived with them, and what does it mean for us? I mean, if we get time, we could talk about Mary. Mary, there's a lot more, so it would be very interesting. Now, I will begin with Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. Now, the first thing I wanted to note is that Joseph, St. Joseph, he's not going to react quickly. He reacts calmly. He perhaps knew that Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit, or perhaps he didn't. I'm going to infer that he didn't know that it was through the Holy Spirit. He perhaps trusted. Actually, we can see that he gave her the benefit of the doubt, really. He didn't react quickly by proclaiming, how dare you, you know, and then making a big fuss out of this and making it a public scene. We know that he didn't do that. He reacted very calmly. He is unwilling to put her to shame. And it's almost that unwillingness to put her to shame was associated with the fact that he's a just man. A just man means that he has found that right balance within where he doesn't react emotionally. I was reminded of another passage, actually. I'll share it with you. It's in James chapter 3, verse 13 and following. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I'll continue reading it. But meekness of wisdom, that's St. Joseph. He's definitely, because of his wisdom, he's meek in this circumstance. He doesn't repudiate Mary. He's gentle. He decides to take the most quiet route. And that's because he's taking his time and he's I need to use this word, he is discerning. And that's so important. 
the discernment of what the Holy Spirit is doing is capital for understanding what's going on with St. Joseph. It's absolutely a central point, and it is capital in the sense it's a head point that determines everything we understand about St. Joseph, is that he discerned. He discerned. And that discernment was done with meekness, meekness of wisdom, as it says here. If I read verse 14, it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now, if we look at, back at the Greek, when it says bitter jealousy, it's not talking about jealousy in the way that we normally understand it. It's talking about bitter zealousness. Remember, jealousy is the same word as zelon. It's where we get the zealots from. And so it's actually spelled with that Z or Z. And so this zealous bitterness because the other person doesn't think what I think or doesn't do what I think. And so I'm zealous for that point or jealous of that point, jealous of the fact they haven't done what I thought they should do. And that's the opposite of wisdom. The opposite of Joseph was someone who is zealous in holding on to his points. And so again, I read, but if you have bitter zealous or jealous and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. That bitter zealousness, again, we're zealous for this point or this truth or this idea or this ideology. We're zealous for it. And because others don't agree with it, we become bitter. That, according to St. James, is earthly, human, disordered. He's even going to say vile, devilish. And it's clear to me that that zealous bitterness, that upsetness with the other for not thinking the way that I think, that is from the evil one. That is devilish, as he says here. That is Satan. That is a smoke of the evil one. And in fact, Jesus in the Gospels is going to call it Satan. That is, is precisely that. It is evil. That's what leads the disciples to betray. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Again, don't read jealousy as uh, I'm jealous of the other person's car. Read it as it was originally, which is this Greek word jealous or zelon. It's this jealousy that others don't agree or conform. And so that leads to disorder, of course, because you throw the table up because you're upset that everybody doesn't agree with you, that everybody doesn't see what you perceive to be true. You throw the table upside down and you refuse to speak with them and you set them aside and kick them out. And you think that you're doing it for love of God, but you're doing it for love of your own ideas. 
And so, that where that exists, so also therefore exists disorder, chaos, like we find today. We find chaos and disorder and every vile practice in our world. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Okay, so that's the first mark. It has to be pure, then peaceable. So it's bringing about peace, if we want the wisdom of Joseph. Then gentle, open to reason. That's a nice one, because if you're not constantly questioning yourself and and looking at how you might be wrong on your idea or your points, you are far from wisdom. You're open to reason. You're full of mercy and good fruits without uncertainty or insincerity. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's Joseph. He's going to be sowing righteousness in peace. That's what he's doing with Mary. That's the whole idea of this beginning. And it's a beautiful passage. Again, James 3, 13 through 18. And he gives a great light into who Joseph is. Let's go back to Joseph. Go back to Matthew. And we were on Matthew 1, 18. And we had just read verse 19. I'll read it again. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Okay. He's considering it. He's pondering over it. He didn't react quickly. He's reacting in peace. And as he's going forward, he's discerning what is the will of God, looking for the indication. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, sometimes I hear, well, Joseph, it was really easy for him because the angel appeared to him, in fact, four times. Uh, That makes it much simpler. If the angel appeared to me, I would listen. And it's simply not true. He had major things he had to do for salvation history. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to him in that way. But it still was not easy. It was still a dream. He still had to discern. He had to be open. The angel would not have appeared to him if he had reacted too quickly to Mary. If he had kicked Mary out right away, made a public scene, the angel would not have appeared to him. It's because he was calm. It's because he was peaceful. He had control over his own own inner emotions. He didn't judge too quickly. No hasty judgment. He uh, looked for discernment. He was looking for the will of God. All those things are prerequisites. And it was at that moment that God spoke to him. And how true that is for you and me. God speaks to us, but we have to be ready. We have to be like Joseph prepared in our hearts, set set aside our emotions, our bad habits, all that's evil within us, putting all that aside, we begin to discern, and we're discerning where is the love of God? What is the love of God asking of me? And it's in the midst of all that, that Joseph is going to receive this vision. So don't excuse Joseph's actions away by saying he had a dream from God. That's too easy. No, Joseph is an amazing man. And it's because he is this just man that the angel appears to him and not the other way around. He's not a just man because the angel appeared to him. It's 
The angel appeared to him because he's a just man. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he was able to discern at that moment, yes, this is from God. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him to do. As soon as he has discerned what is the will of God, he calmly does what God wants. He doesn't make a big huff out of it. If I go a little bit further with Matthew, I can um, see what immediately will happen then when he's, quote-unquote, governing over his family. When he's leading his family, he has to face a government. And the first part in Matthew where he's facing the government is that of Herod. And again, he's discerning what is the will of the Lord, and the will of the Lord will reveal itself to him through a dream. The Magi are coming. They are um, looking. They are looking for him. Herod discovers about him. The Magi come, and they leave. And the moment that they go, verse 13. And now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. I want to stop on that because facing a hostile environment. In this case, his son would have died. Jesus would have died. Facing this form of environment, he does what's absolutely necessary. He trusts in God. He takes his his wife and his son, Jesus, who is the son of God. He takes them both, and he goes to Egypt simply. There's nothing else said in it. Um, I understand by that that he once again has discerned the will of God and he refuses to partake in this tyrannical form of government. And it is tyrannical because a tyrant is someone who governs for his own interest. And here, Herod is definitely governing for his own interest. He's killing anyone that might be uh, against him or another king. So he kills all the babies in Bethlehem. And aware of that, Joseph takes his child away. And it's true, there are times when we have to discern what's going on in the government, and we have to discern whether or not we have to do something in order to foster our own family. And that has to be a priority in our heart and our mind and the discernment of our own wisdom. So... That itself is given in the governance of Joseph. But in all that, I 
see that he is not going to um, do anything except for trying to make the place in which his wife and his child can flourish. He's going to be doing what is best for the whole, the common good. And so what is best is that his son and his wife flourish, so he takes them to Egypt, even if he has to trust the entire time in the providence of God, for he does not know where he's going to stay, what he's going to do, how he's going to live. He has to trust in the providence of God, not uh, be overwhelmed by fear, not be completely paralyzed, but move forward and act for what is best. He goes on and he discerns that Herod has passed and time has come. And so we have um, the passage further on. It's verse 19. And when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Archelaus reigned over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to a district, the district of Galilee. And he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. And what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. And so again, Joseph is going to lead his family into a simple life. I find that to be absolutely capital also, because in this modern time, we are more and more fragmented and atomized, separated one from another. And he keeps his family united, but it's in a, in a way he goes to relative poverty. And it wasn't radical poverty like he would be when he had to have his wife give birth in a cave that's radical poverty but here it's going to nazareth which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere and he's going to be there as a carpenter working in manual labor and it's this working in manual labor together spending time together growing together that is going to be the foundation of the holy family and he avoids, therefore, the big cities, all the politics that's going on, and he remains well-grounded through his manual labor. Manual labor is essential for that, and we're losing that in our society. Um, so quickly we're taken up in technology, and our whole life is consumed in the virtual. But it's funny, the virtual, as much as it's uniting us internationally, it doesn't allow us to dwell together and live together as a family. It actually separates us more and more. And so Joseph is going to raise Jesus uh, in his carpenter shop, in his uh, family. And in doing that, Joseph is going to remain quite rooted and united in love. It's almost as if the work in the carpenter shop becomes a place where they can be together and dwell together. If I switch over to the Gospel of St. Luke, Joseph doesn't really appear until you make it to uh, chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. And 
And when Joseph appears, it's going to be when they're going to Bethlehem, right? Let's read chapter 2, the birth of Christ. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up to, from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So this first thing, St. Joseph is obliged to obey the government. The request of the government wasn't completely irreasonable, but it was in another way. So in one way, it wasn't completely irreasonable. It wasn't completely irrational for the government to want to do a census, right? But she is eight months pregnant, and she's going to have to go on the back of a donkey. She is going to... She is not ready to travel. They don't even know where they're going to stay. It just wasn't right. But... He sees that facing this request of the government or this uh, edict of the government, he has to obey, and so he goes. That's exactly what he does. He obeys. He obeys the government. And when he obeys the government, well, something happens. He has to trust that divine providence will work even in the midst of purely human and arbitrary decisions that divine providence will somehow work. He does, and what happens? Well, um, he's led to Bethlehem, and why does he have to go to Bethlehem again? Well, it's simply because he himself, he himself is of the house of David, and the house of David is very important. The lineage for the Jews is absolutely essential, and so... If they're going to do a census, his name needs to be marked as part of that house. So they go. They don't even find a place on the way. I'm sure that Mary had that inner maturity to not uh, complain and not to be bitter by the fact that Joseph had decided that. She accepted it and probably decided with him. So she accepts it and decides with them to go. She doesn't sit there complaining the whole time. She has enough emotional maturity to not whine. Joseph, too. His feet must have hurt, not just Mary's back. Mary's back must have been killing. It must have been very hard on her. But Joseph was surely not easy either. I doubt that he complained because I'm sure he had the emotional maturity to simply do And so in the end, probably only the ass was complaining. In the end, it's probably only that donkey that complains. Hee-haw, 
as they always do. So they're going off. They arrive, and he cannot even find a place. And he cannot provide as a husband a proper place for his wife to give birth. And for most people, they go, why? Why? And Joseph, again, he has that emotional maturity to trust in God and to see God's providence working in all things. So he takes a step back again, doesn't react hastily, sees, discerns what is the will of the Lord that's happening, and discerning that his son is to be born in Bethlehem, the new king of David. He, he goes, he is born and laid in a manger, and it's almost as if God's providence can, could not have worked if Joseph hadn't acted in conformity with what the government had asked. And what the government had asked was not completely irreasonable. It, it was in their right. And so he, he obeys, he does it, and in the end, God worked through it. Even if it wasn't what God wanted, maybe God never wanted that census. I don't know. I'm not God, right? But let's imagine he didn't want it. Still, Caesar Augustus did it, and God used it. There are many other parts, such as the offering of Jesus on the altar when uh, they took him to the temple. You know. But I thought that is a nice meditation on what Christian maturity is, if we go back to that passage from James, we find that wisdom and understanding really imply this fundamental discernment. And how do we have to do that? Well, you have to begin by patience. It has to be a wisdom that leads to peace, gentleness, meekness. It has to be open to reason, full of mercy, and goodness. We have to be able to discern the fruits of our own wisdom. If our own wisdom is just bringing chaos, then perhaps we've fallen into a zealous ambition, you know, or a bitter zealousness, or zealous for these points or these things, and we're no longer in the wisdom of God, and we've become Satan. And that is the opposite of Joseph. We could take a look at Mary, and perhaps over the next few days I'll get a chance. I find this Mary, or the text on Mary, to be extremely rich. So hopefully we'll get a chance. God bless you. Merry Christmas. And may you have an acute sense of how much God loves you. And we will, we will conquer through his love. I hope you have an acute sense that God is working and that you'll be patient enough to hear it, to find it, to listen to the angels that are speaking. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.